0: Sayyidina Muhammad So inshallah today uh, we're hoping to finish off uh, two hadith inshallah, from this grouping and by that inshallah, we hope to finish off these eight hadith that Ibn Rajab al Hamali added to the Urbaein of, of Imam Nawawi. So inshallah, uh, we won't ten- spend too much time. Neither one of these hadith have ex- extensive explanation. But there's a couple of key factors that are worth noting uh, why they were included into this compilation. So we'll start with the, the, uh, the 44th. An Aisha anha, nabi sallallahu <laughs> alayhi ar tuharrimu ma tuharrimu al-wilada, bukhari wa muslim. So Aisha radiallahu anha narrates in this hadith that uh, wet nursing makes haram that which uh, becomes haram through childbirth or through birth. And what this is referring to, this is a hadith of Bukhari and Muslim. This is referring to specifically those that a person can and cannot marry. Right? And that's what the discussion is. Now a person might ask all these hadith, remember we talked about this key point, that the hadith that are compiled in this collection. Initially done by Abu Amr ibn, ibn Salah, later by Imam Nawawi, and the final edition done by Ibn Rajab al-Hambali. These are supposed to be very central ahadith that encompass great matters of our deen. So a person might ask: This seems to be a specific bas'ala, right? This seems to be a specific ruling. What's the spe- special focus here? That that which is prohibited by by wet nursing is also what you know pro- what is pro- uh, uh, sorry wet nursing makes prohibited. That which childbirth makes prohibited. It seems to be a very uh, restricted masala, But rather this masala, If a person were to ponder over it And reflect on it Why did he add this hadith here And inshallah we'll see the similar situation With the next hadith that we'll cover as well That these hadith There's actually significance to them That a person if they look deeper And we thought more about it We'd realize how significant this, this really is This hadith is discussing those things That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made prohibited With regards to marriage Right So First and foremost, this highlights a point that we need to take into consideration. A person does not have complete free choice in who they may marry, Islamically speaking. Marriage is something that has restriction within it. Marriage is something that has conditions within it. So when a person wants to marry an individual, that person has to be eligible for them to marry before they can even pursue it. And that eligibility is determined by Allah. Now this hadith is speaking about something that, which is probably not as common in our day and age, in our, you know, uh, in our society specifically, right? It's not common that you'll have women nurse children other than their own. But it's common in other parts of the world to this day, and it's especially common in the early days of Islam, right? That you would have, it would be a common thing that a woman might nurse a child who's not her own child. In the Qur'an it speaks about how Musa alayhi salam, you know, in, in his infancy, there, there was attempts to, to have him nursed by, women, by by women other than his own mother. So we understand that this concept existed throughout time, right? Really, this concept existed large part in, in most parts of the world uh, until the emergence the uh, the, uh, the emergence of baby formula, right? Up until then, if a woman needed assistance in nursing a child, they would ha- people would hire a nurse, or the other women in the family would help out, and this is how ch- how children were nursed. Now. Anyone that a person has drunk milk from, a child, if they drank milk from a certain woman, that woman becomes that person's mother through that nursing relationship. Not literally a blood mother, but in terms of many regards, in terms of the relationship, that, that woman is known as uh, Ummul right? The mother of nursing, the, the woman who nursed that child. Just like a person certain people are, are ineligible to be married because of childbirth, for example, because of childbirth, because of the, the relationship of the rahim, because of the relationship of, the, of, of, of a person being born from the same woman. And for instance, a you know, brother and sisters in Islam cannot get married. Right? Mother and son cannot get married. Right? Uh, uh, grandmother and, and grandchild cannot get married. There's certain relationships, uncle and niece, Right? or auntie and nephew. There are certain relationships, because of the blood relationship between them, it's not permissible for a person to marry. Now, this might not even be common in American culture, for these relations to intermarry. In previous cultures, in other cu- cultures, this was common. It was famous amongst the Zoroastrians. The Zoroastrian faith, it was not uncommon for a mother to marry her, her son. Right? It was not uncommon for a brother and sister to get married. It was, it was something that was common in that specific culture the Zoroastrian culture, right? The, the Majusi culture. So, for us, it might not seem like a big deal, but for other people, it was a very big deal, right? Now, understanding that just like that relationship that has become prohibited because of that blood relationship that exists, just like, for example, uh, uh, you know, niece and uh, an uncle or nephew and aunt cannot get married, similarly, if a person drank milk from a woman, if a person was nursed by a woman, right then that woman's whatever would have been haram had that woman been his biological mother also becomes haram on the basis of that woman being his foster mother his you know his wet nurse right so for instance that man uh, uh, that, sorry that, that 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 man that had you know drank milk from a woman in his infancy if another girl if another woman drank milk from that same woman they would be basically brother and sister by radaa you will be brother and sister through this relationship of nursing. And all those relationships that follow becomes joined into this, right? Why is this so important? It's because we have to understand that in this matter of marriage, marriage is not something that a person is within our choice. Marriage is something which Allah has allowed for us. And marriage outside of what Allah has allowed for us is haram. There are certain matters of the deen that the general rule is, things are halal until proven to be haram. There's a few things, a select few things, where the ruling is the opposite. Everything is haram except until it's proven to be halal. One of them is the the intimate relationship between a man and a woman. In general, you can think of it like this, every relationship of intimacy between man and woman, is haram except that which Allah has prohibited, that which Allah has allowed. Right? So, if we look at this in, from this con- context, we see it's extremely important that when a man wants to marry a woman, he needs to make sure that that mar- woman is a pr- woman that is suitable and allowed for marriage. For instance, a man wants to w- marry a woman who's an atheist, it's not permissible. Right? The woman has to be specifically a believer either a Muslim if not a Muslim and even though it's not advised but if not a Muslim at least a believer in Christianity or Judaism right because at least there's some foundation on on on, on of, of, of a similar you know uh, uh, faith-based tradition that exists there but if the woman is an atheist if the woman is a Hindu right if the woman is a Buddhist if the woman is, is not a, a person who is within this millah of Muslim, Jew or Christian And that woman is not lawful for that man to marry Similarly there's restrictions upon women For a woman she has to marry a Muslim man Similarly now we also look at relationships It might seem that like you know These two people are complete strangers They never met It happened in the time of the Prophet That once a man he married a woman A man married a woman And then all of a sudden One day there happened to be some woman A random woman And then she finds out about this marriage. Neither one of them really know her. Neither the man nor the woman. Neither one of her know this third party, this this outside woman all that well. But she comes and says, I gave milk to both of these people when they were children. So they have their doubts. Like we hardly even know you and you're saying that you gave milk to the both of us? Because what happens? This is a marriage that now needs to be annulled. This is a marriage that is not valid. This is a marriage that requires separation. So the man went to the Prophet ﷺ to ask, O Messenger of Allah, what do we do in this situation? And he clarified the whole situation, that we don't even know who this woman is. But the Prophet ﷺ said, how can you continue when she said what she said? Meaning, this situation, based on what she said, how can you even continue with it? Even in this situation where there's doubt, but there's no way to actually uh, uh, uncover the matter. The prophet also advised them accordingly, right? And the, the man divorced that woman and married somebody else. They got, they got a divorce, they went their separate ways. That's how real this is, right? That a person, if we have that doubt, if we have that, 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 uh, that matter come into play, that there could be some sort of a relationship between a man and a woman, that it's better for them to avoid it altogether. Now, brothers and sisters, why is this especially important in our day and age and in, in, in our context? Is we know that now this issue of a person wanting to marry who they want to marry Is becoming a more and more bigger deal People want to marry somebody because I want to marry them Now that might be accepted, accepted socially It might be something which is socially accepted But remember when it comes to Muslims When it comes to Islam specifically We, des- we determine what is right and wrong from revelation We determine what is correct and incorrect By what Allah has commanded we don't throw in our two cents when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the final decree. When, you know, there's an expression that I really, I really truly love. There's a, one of the ulama in, in Southern California. I happened to be in his masjid doing one of his tafsir you know, coincidentally. Uh, Qadi Fadullah. Uh, he had mentioned this point that I thought was, was, uh, was a wonderful way of expressing things. He says, don't put a question mark where Allah put a period. If Allah says something, don't go and now ask a question and try to invent, you know, is this really how it should be? Allah said it, it's clear cut Yes, there's certain areas that are grey areas There's certain things that are no grey areas It's clear cut In this matter, this is a matter which is very clear cut Right? That for a person to marry, a person can't, as a Muslim, we understand This norm, this, this social norm of marriage, where does it come from in the first place? Where does this concept, this, this social construct of marriage, where does it come from? It's a, it's a concept that comes, that, is the, the, that came down to us through a This construct of marriage, you don't see animals marrying. Animals have mates one season then they change mates the next season. The construct of marriage is something specifically that is u- unique to humans. The construct of marriage is something which is specifically known to us through a revelation. So this construct of marriage is consecrated by Allah in the first place. So that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught us That which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed us We can't just cut out Allah Allah from the picture Especially as Muslims Where is our Islam if we can't submit To what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us to do in these matters So I understand brothers and sisters That it's not a huge problem in the Muslim community Where Muslims are trying to marry whomever they want It happens, don't get me wrong, it happens Where Muslims want to marry whomever they want Regardless of whether it's lawful in Islam or not But more of a bigger pressing issue is people being okay with this concept and thinking that a Muslim has to be okay with this concept. No, it's quite the opposite. Just like if a Muslim came to us and tried to argue with us that you know what, we need to say that alcoholism is okay in Islam. No Muslim is going to be happy or satisfied with that. Alcoholism is absolutely not okay in Islam. Muslims will put up a fight if a person tried to argue alcoholism is okay in Islam. If people try to come and say pork is okay in Islam, Muslims will put up a fight They won't accept pork is okay in Islam There are certain things that we know They're essential matters of our faith If someone tries to overturn them Muslims will put up an argument Muslims will put up an opposition This is also an essential matter of our faith That the construct of marriage Is something that Allah decreed And therefore that which Allah has not allowed To be an acceptable part Of the construct of marriage We don't accept as Muslims No matter what people want to do People want to drink That didn't make us say alcoholism is okay People want to fornicate That doesn't make us say zina is okay People want to do a lot of things That doesn't mean you transform and change the deen of Allah And we have to also understand this point That could it be that a person wants to do something passionately With all their heart And Allah says it's not okay, absolutely it's possible Why wouldn't it be possible? Rather that's exactly where the test lies If something was not difficult for a person to submit to Where's the submission in the first place? If everything in our deen went in accordance with what we want What we desire Then where's the test? We're asking for Jannah in the dunya itself, right? Jannah is where your desires will be filled Jannah is where what we we want will be manifest The dunya is not that place The dunya is Look at the very term that is used for our faith Of all the terms that could have been used for our faith It's called Islam Literally submission Literally surrendering we don't have... What Allah says, we accept, we obey. The attitude of the Jews was when they heard of a command of Allah, they would say, wa وَعَصَيْنَا We hear and we disobey. That was the attitude of the Yahud. What was the attitude of the Muslims? wa We hear and we obey. The Muslims were put in front of them a, 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 an impossible task. The verses were revealed that... Uh, um, uh, um, the verses were revealed. That anything that you conceal within yourselves or you expose it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold you accountable for it. Allah will reckon you for it. Right? So when this came down, the Muslims that came to the Prophet, the Sahaba came to the Prophet and they said, Ya Rasulullah, all these ahkam came down, I'm paraphrasing the hadith. All these ahkam came down, all these rulings came down. When they came down, we accepted them. We did it to our best of our abilities. But this is such a thing, how are we going to be able to do it? Whatever comes to our mind, sometimes we don't have control what comes to our mind. Sometimes we don't have control of our thoughts. Yes, there are certain thoughts we actively make, certain thoughts they just slip in. How is Allah going to hold us accountable for those thoughts? Whatever you conceal within yourselves, these thoughts sometimes Thoughts come to people. It happens all the time. Allah is going to hold us accountable for these thoughts? How can we submit to this? What did the Prophet advise them? He said, Are you going to be like the Jews when the command of Allah came down? They said, We hear, but we do not accept, we do not obey. Rather, it's better for you to say, Oh Allah, we hear and we obey. So forgive us, O our, our Lord. Allah sub, they, the, 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 the Sahaba, عنهم, the moment they heard this, they submitted and they did just this. They said, right. Allah preserved it in the Quran itself. That we hear and we obey, but O Allah, forgive us. Right? We hear and we obey, but O Allah, forgive us. O our Lord, because to you is our return. To you is our final you know uh, 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 you know um, our, our final our, our final reprieval, right our final return so they said this and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immediately he removed that that, that command upon them he made it mansukh and then the verse came down la nafsan illa wusaha that no soul sh- no soul shall bear a burden more than it can bear Allah just wanted to test their willingness to submit this whole, this whole incident, Allah wanted to test the believers in their willingness to submit That Allah will even send down an impossible command just to see how do the believers respond When they responded in the appropriate manner, Allah removed that command that Allah will not put that burden on the people That they cannot bear That which is out of our control Allah won't ask us for Imagine how, how much of a mercy from Allah it is That sometimes the negative thoughts The bad thoughts we think of If we didn't think of them intentionally If we don't intentionally like, contemplate them Allah won't hold us accountable for them The point being is Brothers and sisters A lot of things happen to us That sometimes we have no control over But all we have control over Is what we do Not what we feel so if sometimes a, a ruling comes, a person wants something, a person longs for something, but we see that the command of Allah is against it, we, this, is our, this is our attitude. We hear, O oh Allah, we obey, forgive us for our shortcomings and our weakness. Ask Allah for assistance in those junctures. But it's very important for us to understand this very key point, that that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made lawful, and that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made unlawful in this matter of marriage, is in very critical for us. To not only know it, but to acknowledge it Maybe none of us are in that predicament Maybe none of our immediate loved ones are in that predicament Maybe none of our immediate friends are in that predicament But more important than being in the predicament or not Is to have the correct belief and understanding of this point That when Allah has made haram, we consider it haram And when Allah has made halal, we consider it halal That is is one of the key points in this discussion And one of the key ways it applies to our current context Sorry, you had your hand up a little bit earlier Muslim? I don't think so because I cannot be open to Muslim and eating pork, and I'll be proud of it I'm eating poor you know? so is that remember there's a, there's, a, there's a key word that you mentioned right and the key word is open open yeah right because what does it it's mean proud to be open of it. proud of you. remember one key thing is it possible for any Muslim to commit any sin and remain a Muslim yes no matter, what, no matter how egregious the sin, a Muslim can commit a sin and still be a Muslim. Why? It's because there's still hope that the person will make tawbah. Belief is an internal matter. And no matter how heinous the crime, a person does not come out of the fold of Islam by, that cr- by, by committing that sin. The only thing that takes you out of Islam are breaking those things that take you into Islam. What brings a person into Islam? Testification of the faith That confirm conviction and belief in the heart It's the opposite of that That takes a person out of the fold of Islam What is? To, with the tongue say those things that violate Islam? Or with the heart believe those things that violates Islam? Right? It's not a matter of the deed a person does Now, where, where does it become an issue? When people start making that which is halal, haram Or making that which is haram, halal This is where the true problem lies Look, brothers and sisters, people sometimes, they suffer, they struggle. We have this in the community. It's a very big issue in the community. Lots of the community, people struggle with sin. We should give those people hope that struggle with sin, that like, look, have hope, make dua to Allah, ask Allah for forgiveness, make tawbah. Allah's doors are always open. But it becomes a problem when people start making haram things halal. Why? It's because now they've closed the door of tawbah. When become, people become proud, flamboyant of any, any wrongdoing, any sin the, very, the big fear here is that that person is closing the door of tawbah Because one of the conditions of tawbah is what? Regret Sometimes you have Muslims that have bad addictions That have bad you know, problems with certain sins But they have that constant regret in their heart When people lose that regret, what happens? They lose the ability to feel bad for or disobeying Allah. When they lose that ability, they lose the ability to actually wipe away that sin. Right? It's like you did a wrong. You know, like for example, your 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 wrongdoings. It's like something that was written in pencil. You make tawbah; it's been erased, and then someone comes and then they, they you know they 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 write over it in ink. You know, they carve it in the stone, right? This is the issue when people become flamboyant, arrogant, proud of sin Is they start closing the doors and the avenues of being able to come back to Allah So that's the bigger issue more than anything else And even bigger issue is that a person should consider that which Allah clearly, explicitly has made haram For a person to consider that halal, even if they don't do it themselves Even if a person doesn't fall into that type of a sin themselves To consider something halal, haram Or to consider something haram, halal knowingly, because some people, they do it unknowingly, let's be fair also. Some people, the, the level of ignorance of their faith has led them to say certain things or do certain things or think certain things out of sheer ignorance. We're not talking about that. But if for a person to know, knowingly say, that yes, Allah revealed this in the Qur'an, but I say something different. Who are you to say something different? It's that attitude that is more problematic than anything else. So absolutely what you mentioned you know, is completely incompatible. Absolutely, yeah, it's a huge problem. Another like thing is, like, a woman is leaving and the winter, like, they like they are, like, praying them. Yeah. Like that's, that's having New yeah. That's anything, anything that, look, anytime people start making a way of life, a madhab, on the basis of opposing all, either Allah or his messenger, the Quran or the Sunnah, this is this problem of in the first place. We have hope that maybe people did it out of ignorance, we don't want to just jump the gun, and, and, you know, we're not those people to pass fatwas on people. But we at least know this much that it's not, they're not going down the right path. And we make dua that Allah guide them and Allah bring them back to, to, to the truth. And he saved the community from such fitan. So this was hadith number 44. Now inshallah we'll do hadith number 43. And inshallah this will be the last hadith of these eight hadith that were added to this collection by Ibn Rajab al-Hambali. And it's similar in its nature that at first glance a person might think, what does this have to do with those integral matters of the faith? أنا قاعد أطالعه بعوض. okay. so hadith number forty three. عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ألحق الفرائض بأهلها. فما أبقت الفرائض؟ فالأولى رجل رجل ذكر خرجه البخاري ومسلم. So, hadith number 43, Ibn Abbas narrates that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, The fixed shares of inheritance make it reach those people that are rightful for it. And whatever remains of those fixed shares, then it is more rightful it, it, that the person that is most rightful of it, it should be given to the person who is the nearest male relative. So the matters of inheritance, this hadith, Ibn Rajab, remember, these last eight hadith, Ibn Rajab not only added them, he also explains them. So this is actually one of the longest chapters in this entire book because he actually goes through the entire discussion of inheritance. We won't go through the details of that because that's a very lengthy discussion. The specific shares that different people have, the unique situations. He goes through a lot of discussions in this one chapter. But he mentions that many people were of the opinion that I- I- Imam Nawawi should have had it added to this, to that collection of the Arba'een of Nawawi. And that's why he actually adds it as the first ha- hadith that he adds to the collection. And why is, that? is it Because he says a very big matter of our faith is specifically this matter of inheritance. In fact, it's interesting that we have all these things in our faith which are farad, right? Obligatory But the one matter of faith Which actually has taken the name fard into it, right? The faraid right, when, when, when you, in, the, in the knowledge of deen When you talk about ilmul faraid That is actually specifically referring to the fixed shares of inheritance Ilmul faraid is speaking about inheritance Because the inheritance is a very interesting matter When it comes to the revelation that has come down Like I said, this is a very lengthy discussion We won't go into the details of specifically who is owed what and how much is due to each individual uh, shareholder based on the relationship to the deceased. But we want to bring our attention to a couple of other points that are very relevant to our time. Why is this being considered something which is one of the central matters of our deen? Well, we understand that wealth is from the maqayis of Sharia is the preservation of wealth. From the objectives of Sharia, the Sharia has certain higher objectives, right? Preservation of the deen, preservation of life, Preservation of lineage One of the things that's also mentioned is preservation of wealth So one of the th- matters that this is tied into Is because every Muslim has some amount of wealth So when we pass away That wealth should not get wasted That wealth should be, have a way of being preserved It should not be, get wasted And the way in which this deen helps preserve the wealth Is by the laws of inheritance Now let's understand another point here Along with this being something which is a very important point Out of all the rulings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed in the Quran Most of the rulings in the Quran are mentioned in, in abbreviated form They're mentioned ijmali They're mentioned in, in, in a very general sense Without detail right? They're mentioned uh, in, in a very uh, comprehensive manner For example, we're told to pray right? We're told to pray We aren't really told how to pray You won't find in the Quran that, you know, start with Allahu Akbar, and then say Surah Fatiha, and then, you know, go into Ruku, and all these things that we know of the nuances of Salat, right? That you start with Allahu Akbar, and you end with Taslim at the end, Assalamu salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. None of that is mentioned in the Quran, where Salat, we know, is the most important ruling, the most important obligation in deen after Shahada. We know that. Right? Any any Muslim child in, in in maktab, one of the first things they learn is the five pillars, right? Shahada, salat, zakat, you know, saum, hajj. One of the first things that children are taught, right, is the five pillars. So this is something we know early, and yet we don't find salat nor zakat, right? We don't find these things being mentioned in great detail in the Quran. All the details come from the Prophet sallallahu one of the very few places where, the, where tremendous amount of detail is mentioned with regards to the rulings of certain things is specifically the matter of inheritance. Specifically in the matter of inheritance, the rules of inheritance are mentioned by the nas of the Qur'an, by the very text of the Qur'an. And there's many points to be related to this, right? When it comes to the shares of inheritance, right? A lot of discussion comes up And a lot of discussion has come up From the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Is because inheritance is something that One, is connected to the wealth of people And a lot of people They're very happy doing things that are, that are cheap and free But when it comes to money People become different people People change when it comes to money You'll find that you know. Unfortunately you hear this complaint Many a time That a person will say Such and such person He prays five times a day, five times a day But he's willing to rip people off Unfortunately it happens Why does it happen? It's because when it comes to money, people change. Inheritance is one of those places where people change. This is one of those things that literally families are sometimes torn apart over this matter. Right? Families, close-knit families. Inheritance comes, family relationships gone. Right? So we understand inheritance to be a very important matter. There's many wisdoms to be mentioned of why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned it as He mentioned it. Throughout the generations, there's been different social norms that have come and gone. And those social norms will always change. And this is proof. Social norms cannot remain consistent, right? Social norms, they cannot remain consistent. What's considered morally good or morally wrong socially is never going to be consistent. One day, one thing will be acceptable. One day, another thing will be acceptable. Every now and then, you know, I, 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 you know I'll read something that's like a very old piece of literature or an old piece of like an, an old article. Sometimes you read, it, read them and it's like shocking, Right? It's shocking some of the things you'll read Like a hundred years ago The type of stuff people would say It's like completely like Wow, this is like, it, it, like it'll, it'll make you blush just reading it Right? Because in those days It was completely acceptable to say certain things Nowadays saying those same things Is completely unimaginable Why? It's because the norms have changed When it comes to Haq and ba'til When it comes to truth and falsehood Truth and falsehood is something That was been sent down to us by Allah It's not something that changes by the whims and fancies of society What Allah says is haqq is is haqq And what Allah says is batil is batil What Allah says is the truth is the truth And what He says is falsehood is falsehood Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down these rules of inheritance And these rules of inheritance have become a permanent part of the deen So much so that it's known through the text of the Quran itself The most irrefutable textual evidence in Islam Now, socially certain things may change, but the point being is we understand that no matter what era we go through, the wealth is still something that people are very interested in. For the Muslims that properly incorporate this matter of inheritance, that we say that this is something that Allah decided. A lot of the problems that come afterwards with inheritance can be avoided. We need to understand a very, very key point, right? The wealth of a person, right? we we say this every time someone passes away inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi indeed we belong to allah and to allah we will return indeed when we lose property we say the like same dua inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi indeed we belong to allah and to allah we will return why is that because in every juncture we're being reminded like look ultimately me and everything i own and everything connected to me it all belongs to allah Each and every one of us, every single person that walks the face of this earth, all of our possessions, all of our belongings, and down to our entire bodies and souls, they belong to Allah. And ultimately they will go back to Allah. We say this, every Muslim will testify to this. No Muslim will deny this. People will tell you that yes, Allah is the one that sustains me. We believe it as a matter of our faith. Yes, Allah is the one that feeds me Allah is the one that sustains me Allah is the one that's given me all these bounties in life But there will be certain junctures in life Where this will come to the test Nowadays, one of the big tests that we have In our community, brothers and sisters Is people don't want to accept the rules of inheritance in Islam People want to leave their money in their own ways I want to leave, back, you know, leave behind my wealth this way And I want to leave behind that way Allah didn't give us free say in our wealth And this is the, one of those moments that we're being tested Wait, we said, our entire life we said Allah is the one that sustains me We said that I own, Allah owns me Allah owns all my property Now that I've died, that property doesn't belong to me no more When a person passes away, they no longer own wealth A dead person no longer owns wealth That wealth belongs to someone else Above all else, it belongs to Allah This is now a time for us to be tested That Allah is telling us what He wants us to do With the wealth that He gave us At that juncture of inheritance, the brothers and sisters, this is a big problem coming into the community. That when it comes to inheritance, we want to figure out our own thing. I'd rather leave my money like this. I'd rather give this to so and so and give that to so and so. We come up with our own rules. We want to cut some people off and we want to give more to other people. We complain why does so and so get this share and why does so and so get that share? Because ultimately, it's what Allah decided. This is the first thing we need to submit to. Allah decided these shares. Why did Allah decide these shares? And bear in mind, we only, you know, unfortunately, the average Muslim only knows one portion of the rules of inheritance, right? Uh, that, a, that a man has a share that is equal to the share of two women. But that's not in every single relationship inside of, inside of inheritance. Inheritance is extremely complex. To give an idea of how complex the rules of inheritance are, does anybody know the history of algebra? I remember I, I still remember this from when we studied algebra in, in uh, I don't know m- middle school or whenever we studied algebra, right? In the beginning of al- the algebra book, they had a little bit section on the history, right? And they mentioned algebra was established by a Muslim Arab Muslim, I think he was actually Persianite, but he was a Muslim uh, individual by the name of, of uh, Al-Khawarizmi. Right? Khawarizmi, he, he, he wrote this book called Al Jabr. And that book is the foundation on which algebra was established. So he explains in the introduction of the book, the book starts with Bismillahir Rahmanir rahman rahim The reason the world has algebra right now is because of this book The way the algebra came into existence is because of this book, look it up I encourage everybody to look this up, right, the history of algebra Algebra, al-Jabr became algebra, right It was the romanization of the, uh, of the, uh, of the Englishization of, of that, the, the name of the book itself So he wrote this book and he starts with the name of Allah And he explains a very important point He said many of the essential matters of our faith Is based on these complex calculations One of the foremost of which is this matter of inheritance One of the foremost of which is this matter of inheritance Algebra largely exists because the rules of inheritance came down and because of the complexity of the rules of inheritance, such and such person gets an eighth, such and such persons get a sixth, such and such person gets a half, su- all these different fractions that are mentioned. There's many fractions. Brothers and sisters, it's not just like simply that one, that one asset that people remember and they forget the rest. There's people that get a third, there's people that get a sixth, there's people that get an eighth, depending on the uh, different relationships, depending on who the inheritors are. All these things are pl- coming into play. There are situations where men get more than women And there are situations where women will get more than men It all ends up being Depending on who are the inheritors that are left behind There's a complex equation that comes out And based on that equation Each person's share is determined the, Literally the science the, the, of, of algebra the, 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 the backbone of mathematics today It was on the basis of these rules of inheritance We, don't, we have this tool that the entire society runs on Because of this gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so, to, 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 to disregard this is, is, is utter foolishness. But above all else, we're reminding ourselves that the deceased, the mayyat, even he has no say in this matter. Allah has given a leeway. Allah has given dispensation that a person can leave behind a, in their will a wasiyah, right? A bestowal. They can bequeath up to one third of their wealth. Allah has allowed. And Allah was not required to allow this Allah was allowed one third And then that is a huge lesson for us as well that The fact that Allah has allowed it It shows that Allah is also forbidden For people to mess with the other side That's why the shares of inheritance are known as fara'id It's an obligation Each individual share is an individual obligation That is a right owed to that person And if we take away from one right If we give one person more than the other We're literally taking away from people's rights We're violating this obligation from Allah so this matter, brothers and sisters, again, like the previous matter in our day and age, more than the calculations of, 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 of inheritance, more than that, this is becoming a matter of belief. We need to believe that what Allah has said, this is a test for faith right now. That a person has been left millions of dollars. Maybe some of us may or may not have that type of money. Right? A person who's leaving behind $100 may not care as much as a person who's leaving behind $100,000. May not care as much as a person who's leaving behind $100,000,000. But one way or the other That person when he's leaving behind It doesn't belong to them no more And the test is being put into play Allah is telling us what to do with that wealth Allah is not asking us Allah is not advising us Allah is telling us And this is the test now That am I going to get greedy in that moment And look at the situation Ultimately, the person who passes away He can't even argue If the inheritance decided to use the wealth in a way That was against the wishes of the person who passed away He can't even do anything about it What more proof do we need to show that this doesn't belong to them no more? So neither is it appropriate for the person to leave behind a will Going against these rules of inheritance Similarly for the inheritors To the best of their abilities They should try to make sure that the wealth is distributed in a way That is in accordance with Islamic law That is in accordance with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed Why otherwise? it's It's utter injustice Right? So much so that a person should, should bear this in mind, right? That right now, this wealth that is coming to me, it's not coming to me by any of my own effort. Well, that's another huge sign. This wealth that comes to a person, wealth that a person inherits. We see with our own eyes, I did nothing. I did absolutely nothing to gain this Why am I going to fight my brother? Why am I going to my, fight my sister? Why am I going to fight my uncle or my aunt to gain this wealth? It, I, I have no control over it It literally comes to me by the will of Allah Because if Allah willed a different decree If Allah had decided that it should be different All the wealth must go to, go to the Baytul Maal All the wealth must go to charity What's to stop Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from doing so? It's from the mercy of Allah that Allah says that no The near relatives will get it But it's from the greed of people That they disregard that, that which Allah is actually giving them They become greedy Allah is giving them something that they gain with no effort on their own hand But people become greedy and they want more People become greedy and they want which is not rightfully theirs It's literally stealing Literally no different than stealing this is why Ibn Rajab included this, not as any other hadith, but it's the first hadith he added in addendum to all the other hadith in this collection, because it is a critical matter. It's not a small matter. It's a very big matter of our deen. So, like I said, our scope of this discussion is not to go into these nitty-gritty rules. The advice that I'll give now is, every single person should try to have this much, that if we're leaving behind wealth, try to leave behind a will to ensure that our, that our wealth gets distributed in accordance with the laws of Sharia. Right. Have a will in place. Have an understanding with the family members. Educate each other. Educate the relatives. Educate everybody in the family, meaning those that that will be necessary for us to interact with. Educate them of these points, and Inshallah, try our best to do things in the best of ways. May Allah subhanahu wa taala give us the ability to act upon all these hadith that we've studied and we we've, we we, uh, we went through uh, in these uh, in these sessions. Uh, inshallah, we're hoping uh, next week, Inshallah, Sheikh Tamim uh, will be able to return and conduct the classes again so we'll be returning to the Arba'in of imam nawawi the actual text itself and alhamdulillah by allah's grace we were able to complete these eight hadith that ibn rajab added to those uh, to those arbaeen May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this effort and forgive us for any shortcomings uh, in anything that might have been mentioned, any mistakes that might have been made. And allow us, first and foremost, me and myself and my family, to be able to incorporate all that we've learned and all that we've understood in these lessons and in these studies of hadith.